Several years ago, my son Q and I hiked uh, six days uh, to the summit of Mount Whitney. The elevation of Mount Whitney is 14,505 feet above sea level. Uh, it's the highest mountain uh, in the lower 48 uh, in the States. And uh, I remember when we got to the top, uh, the air was thin. I had a splitting headache. I was nauseated. Um, and uh, I, I remember looking around, the sun was shining really bright and the snow was melting around us. We were on this rocky outcrop. And uh, it, it was amazing. I could see for miles and miles off into the Sierra Nevada mountain range of Southern California and maybe off into Nevada. I don't know exactly. But in that moment, I didn't really care about how tired I was or how sick I was, uh, knowing that we still had to hike three more miles back down to get to our campsite for that night. Uh, but the next two hours, I remember just looking out and feeling like we were absolutely on top of the world, that everything below us was under our control. It was such an incredible uh, emotional experience. And I didn't want to leave. But we had to leave, and so after some time, we started coming back down the mountain. Now, a few days later, uh, we traveled 82 miles to the east as the crow flies to Badwater Basin. And Badwater Basin uh, is in uh, Death Valley National Park. And I also remember that well because Badwater Basin is 282 feet below sea level. It's the lowest point in North America. And I remember looking up at the rim where they had a, a, a marker that said sea level. And I remember it was 113 degrees. It smelled like salt and sulfur. And uh, I didn't want to spend any time in that valley. It felt very claustrophobic all the way around. And I got to thinking a little bit about this is a great uh, idea, concept, metaphor, illustration is that when we go through uh, those summits, those peaks, those mountaintop experiences in our life, we don't want to leave, we just want to stay there, right? And the opposite is also true, is that when we go into the valley, into the depths, into those places uh, where it's uncomfortable, where it maybe even feels claustrophobic, where it maybe even feels like the world is closing in on us, we want to get out now. We want to get out fast. We love the mountaintop and we do not like being in the valleys. Hey, welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Into the Wilderness. And for a few weeks, we're talking about what it means to be in the wilderness, in different places. And the wilderness, of course, is wild. It's untamed. It's out of our control. The wilderness can be a very scary place. And so for a few weeks, uh, we are talking about what it means to uh, travel through the wilderness. Uh, 
And of course, it's just been a few weeks now uh, that the entire world has been uh, metaphorically traveling through the wilderness, a place of great unknown, a place of great uncertainty, a place that's kind of knocked all of us uh, on our side and we're not really sure what to do and how to proceed forward. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be in the valleys, in those low-lying places. And if you've been going through, or maybe you're in the midst of a valley now, the, the valley of grief, the valley of sadness, the valley of struggle, the valley of dryness, the valley of um, hurt and pain, the valley of loneliness then you're at the right place right now. And I wanna say welcome to Faith, and we're so glad that you are here as we continue journeying into the wilderness, as we explore the valleys together. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are a God of, of the mountaintops and you are a God of the valleys. That God, you are everywhere in all places, in all times, you are with us and you are speaking to us and you are leading us and you are guiding us. And so God, we pray that as we travel through uh, another great story from the Old Testament today, that your Holy Spirit might surround us uh, even in the midst of our valleys. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Second uh, Chronicles 20. Second Chronicles 20, uh, of course, is in the Old Testament. Now, as you're traveling uh, or turning to Second Chronicles 20, let me give you a little bit of backstory uh, for what's going on in the story for today. If you tuned in last week, uh, you know that we talked about King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And then uh, along came King David. He was the second king of Israel. David had a son by the name of Solomon, and Solomon was the third son of uh, the third uh, king of Israel. And uh, towards uh, sometime in Solomon's reign, uh, it was about I don't know 940 BC. Uh, the kingdom of, uh, of Israel uh, split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom was known as uh, Judah. Now fast forward a, a few hundred years, uh, and in the year 722, uh, the Assyrian army came in and invaded uh, and overran the northern kingdom. And this went on, and God's people are suffering and struggling. And so now there's only one kingdom uh, left, the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, which is uh, where Jerusalem is located. So the year is about uh, 586 BC, and the king on the throne is a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Uh, and, and I just want to say, first of all, uh, uh, there's no uh, test at the end of this. You don't have to remember all these dates and no spelling quizzes. And, uh, you know, furthermore, aren't you glad your parents didn't name you Jehoshaphat? I mean, that's, that's quite a name, right? Uh, because your nickname uh, might just be like what my what my kids call me my nickname which is which is fatty and and i don't know if they called uh, jehoshaphat fatty uh but uh that was his name jehoshaphat uh in about 586 
And the scene is such uh, that the, uh, the, the Babylonians now are getting ready to invade Jerusalem. And King Jehoshaphat is in the situation room. And he's got his trusted advisors around him. And the Joint Chief of Staff comes to brief him on the military uh, army from the Babylonians getting ready to invade Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. So we're going to pick up uh, 2 Chronicles 20, beginning with verse 2. And I'm not going to be able to cover all of 2 Chronicles 20 today, but we're going to hit a lot of scripture, a lot of this story. So hang on, we're going to try and go pretty fast here. So some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazen Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So that means uh, that they're about 50 miles uh, from Jerusalem, and it would take a, an ancient army about three days to travel these 50 miles. So uh, the clouds are getting dark, and a storm is on the horizon. Uh, and King uh, Jehoshaphat, without question, is in a valley. He's in a valley, and he's not quite sure what to do. And I want to ask you, you know, much like King Jehoshaphat, uh, what do you do uh, when you're in a place and all of a sudden uh, the things around that you, uh, uh, that you trust all of a sudden fall apart? That the systems, the people, and, and all kind of the, the, the different pieces on the, on the board of life have all started crumbling and all the rules are off. And all of a sudden, you're not quite sure what to do. The ground around you uh, feels like it's trembling and uh, you find yourself in this place of, okay, now what do I do? Because I'm in a valley and things are looking really really ominous. You know, when uh, COVID-19 uh, came on the scene uh, just, just a few months ago, this is the place where we were all at. Early on, it was uh, um, disruptive. It was kind of interesting. It was kind of, oh, what's going to happen now? It, it maybe was even a little bit uh, exhilarating uh, and, and exciting, but now it's dragged on for several weeks and, and uh, it's kind of getting a little bit old, right? And we're kind of thinking to ourselves, how long is this going to last? And uh, what's really going on in the world? Because this has uh, created a lot of problems, uh, both with health of people, uh, but also uh, COVID-19, of course, has wreaked havoc uh, on our economy. And, and this is what, what Jehoshaphat, he's never been this place before. And he's thinking to himself, now what do I do? Now what do I do? You know, uh, it may be very terrifying having an army come at you. Uh, like King Jehoshaphat. But it might even be more dangerous to be in a place where something like the coronavirus or any virus, any pandemic shows up. You know, so far, about three and a half million people around the world uh, have contracted uh, coronavirus, as we know, probably more. Uh, at this point in time, about 250,000 people around the world have died, and, and this is in the course of two to three months. And it's, it's been hard, really hard, uh, on our economy, right? But I want to wind back the clock about a hundred years, 
and think about some of the numbers that were going on a hundred years ago. At the end of World War I, there were 10 million casualties. 10 million people died in World War I. And during the Spanish flu that we've been hearing so much about about a hundred years ago, 50 million people died in the course of two years. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that it's going to get that bad. I'm simply saying that pandemics can be a lot more dangerous and a lot more deadly than even a war. But this is the situation uh, for King, Jehosh King Jehoshaphat as the enemy, the Babylonians, are coming against him. Then it says in verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat uh, was afraid. Another translation says that he was terrified. Jehoshaphat was scared. Make no mistake about it. And I just want to kind of pull that out from the story uh, because I think there is nothing wrong with feeling a little bit of anxiety and apprehension uh, when, when things are ominous and things are uncertain and, and we're in a place that we've never been before. In fact, I think if you don't have just a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety in your life right now, I don't think you're paying attention because uh, there is a health situation going on, but there's also this incredible economic situation going on. And you got to choose, and both options are bad, right? Do you go out and work and risk your health, uh, or do you stay home and not work and risk uh, your economic, your financial situation? It's a lose-lose, right? And that's much the situation of Jehoshaphat here, is, is, is what do you do? There are no good options. And so I just want to say it's okay to feel just a little bit uh, afraid in this point in time. Jehoshaphat certainly did. It said he was afraid. Now I want to remind you that you and I, human beings, are only born with two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That's what we were born with. All of our other fears are learned fears. And the good news in knowing that all the other fears are learned fears is that they can also be unlearned. And how do we unlearn our fears? Well, I want to read a scripture passage to you. Uh, this comes from 1 John 4.18. Perfect love casts out fear. We invite the one who loved perfectly to go face to face with our fears. We invite Jesus to help us overcome our fears. He can do that. He can drive out all fear. And I think that's good news for you and for me. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, but there's yet another translation. It says, alarmed. Jehoshaphat was alarmed. And I like uh, the word alarmed because it's uh, an, a double entendre. Alarm means kind of this anxious awareness. But an alarm is, of course, also a little device uh, meant to wake us up. That's what an alarm does. It wakes us up. And I can't help but wonder if God uses moments like this to wake us up. Jehoshaphat was afraid. And this is his response. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. 
From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. It says, Jehoshaphat set his face before the Lord. What does that mean? It means quite simply that he prayed. He went straight to God. And not only did Jehoshaphat uh, go straight to God in prayer, but he also invited the people of Judah, God's people, to gather together and set their face, seek help from the Lord. And so he goes into the house of the Lord, to the very presence uh, where God is in the temple. He prays. This is exactly what uh, Jehoshaphat does. And, and I love this about him because oftentimes uh, people think that, that prayer is kind of the last option, but not for Jehoshaphat. It was his first instinct. Something bad happens and he immediately goes to prayer. You know, the interesting thing about uh, being in a crisis or in a valley or in a hard place that we don't want to be is that it really reveals a lot about us. It tells us about our character. Uh, it tells us about our relationship with God. Uh, it tells us kind of what we're made of, right? You see people go into crisis situations and some people absolutely freak out and, and just go nuts. And other people have this incredible peace and they can just walk calmly through a crisis. This is what a crisis does. It gets us really clear about what's important, who's important, and, and how we're going to move uh, through the crisis. And Jehoshaphat prays. It's an incredible uh, response uh, that he has uh, in this moment and time. And one of the things we're going to see here in just a minute, uh, and I'm going to read uh, the story a little more, but I want you to kind of pay attention. Jehoshaphat prays a little bit differently uh, than oftentimes how we think about prayer. See, oftentimes when we think about prayer, it's, hey God, here are my problems. One, two, three, four. Jehoshaphat doesn't spend time uh, talking to God about his problems. Rather, he talks to his problems about God. Hey, problems, let me tell you about my God. Verse 6, Jehoshaphat and the Jude, God's people praying. And Jehoshaphat said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand our power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before uh, the people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Jehoshaphat's like, hey, problems. My God is still on the throne. Hey, problems, my God is still in control. Hey, problems, uh, my God's got everything right in the palm of his hands. Hey, problems, 
I can call out to my God and he will come rescue me. Isn't that great? It's not just that we pray to God, it's how we pray to God. It's how we approach God. And so I want to ask you, how is your prayer life going? How are you praying to God? Are you telling God about your problems or are you declaring uh, uh, God to your problems? Are you telling your problems, hey, let me tell you about my God. And I think this matters a lot because how we pray to God uh, really determines a lot of things and I think truly makes all the difference in the world. Because when we pray to God about our problems, what we're really saying to God is, God, change the circumstances around me. Change everything that's going on around me. But when we pray to our problems and tell our problems, our struggles, our hardship, our pain, our suffering about God, what we're really praying is, God, change me. Give me insight. Help me to see what you see. Help me to uh, have faith and courage. Help me, God, uh, to, to, to transform my life. Oh, I want you to change everything that's going on around me for sure. But first and foremost, God, change my heart. Make me humble so that I can walk closely with you. See, that's the difference between praying uh, to God about our problems and praying to our problems about God. And see, when we pray, to our pro or talk to our problems about God. He gives us a new perspective and he walks close with us and he changes us deep inside. And sometimes in the midst of all that, he also changes our circumstances around us. Jehoshaphat prays, but the prayer goes on. Verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive out us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I underlined uh, this last phrase in my Bible. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I want you to underline that twice. I want you to highlight it with a marker in the margin. I want you to write COVID-19 uh, prayer. In fact, you might want to memorize this and make this your life verse. This is how God's people always pray. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know, but my eyes are fixed on you. Isn't that a great prayer? I love this prayer of Jehoshaphat. Now we're going to skip down uh, a little bit to verse 15. 
And this is going to be God's response to this prayer. And God's going to speak uh, through a prophet. So let's pick up in verse 15. And the prophet said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up uh, by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them uh, at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Now this is really a strange response. Because here they are fortified uh, around uh, thick walls of the city of Jerusalem. And God does not come uh, to Jehoshaphat and, and, the, and God's people and say, Okay, what I want you to do is fortify yourselves. Stay put. Let them come up to you. Um, get everything ready uh, and just stand firm. He says, no. He says, I want you to leave the comfort and the safety of the walls of Jerusalem and go into the valley. Go and leave what's protecting you and uh, all that is all around you. It says, tomorrow go down against them. Tomorrow go out against them. I mean, this is a crazy response and it makes no sense for uh, from a military or, or strategic standpoint. You know, this uh, story actually reminds me uh, of another story uh, from American history, from the American Civil War. It was July 2nd, 1863. And uh, there was a, 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 a colonel uh, in the Union Army uh, by the name of Joshua Chamberlain. And he was stationed in uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. You might know this story. And Colonel Chamberlain, uh, he was overseeing a regiment of about 400 uh, troops uh, for the Union Army. And at, at that time, uh, the Confederates uh, were very, very strong. They were very powerful. And the Confederate army surged five times, and they knocked out and killed a lot of Union uh, soldiers. In fact, uh, Colonel Chamberlain even got struck by a bullet right on his belt buckle. He got back up, and this keeps going on and on and on, and pretty soon... Uh, uh, Colonel Chamberlain and his regiment, they're down to 80 guys, 80 men uh, in the Union Army, and the Confederates just keep coming at them. And so what do you do? You're, uh, you're almost out of ammunition. You're, you've got people, just a handful of people uh, still living who are able to fight. There are no reinforcements coming anytime soon. What do you do when you're in the valley of defeat. Well, you surrender, right? But that's not what Chamberlain did. He looked at those 80 men and he said, charge. And wouldn't you know it, in about five minutes flat, those 80 men 
captured 4,000 Confederate troops. Now this battle at Gettysburg has gone down as one of the most improbable uh, military victories in, in history. But even, I think, more importantly, what I love about this story is that was the battle that changed the trajectory of the war. And the North, from then on, would be on the offense. And just a few years later, the Civil War would be over. Colonel Chamberlain was later asked, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? What, 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 what was inside you that you even thought about saying charge when it looked like you were on the verge of defeat? And this is what he said. He said, I had deep within me the will to do nothing, but I also believed that I could do something. I knew that I may die, but I also knew that I would not die with a bullet in my back. For I have a conviction that is only when a man supremely gives that he supremely finds. In other words, charge. You know, sometimes the best strategy when you're in the midst of a valley is to go on the offense. That's what Colonel Chamberlain did. This is what God is telling Jehoshaphat and God's people to do. Go on the offense, charge. You know, a couple weeks ago, um, when the governor's order uh, told us to uh, shelter at home, uh, don't go to work, don't go to school, uh, don't leave your house unless it's absolutely necessary, and, and you certainly can't uh, gather for worship in church. And you might have thought, and, and there was probably a part of me that thought, oh boy, this is going to be a step back uh, for Faith Lutheran Church. But you know what I've discovered over the past six weeks, that this is one of those for such a time as this moments. Because over the past six weeks, as I've talked to so many of you, you have shared stories with me that you didn't just fall into retreat, but you've gone on the offense with your prayer life, with reading scripture, uh, with serving others, for reaching out to others. And you've grown so much in your faith over just the past six weeks. It's been this moment of charge. Some of you over the past uh, six weeks, uh, you've been serving out uh, in, in, in ways that you had never served before. You're connecting uh, with people that you had never served before. Family members or uh, other people in the community um, that all, they've all of a sudden presented these situations for you to be on the offense because people are so hungry uh, to uh, get some truth and some hope and some guidance uh, through this valley. And you maybe don't know this, but did you know that our Sunday worship, our worship attendance is actually up? More people are watching and tuning in on Sunday morning. This message uh, is connecting with more people than this has ever connected with before COVID-19. Are you kidding me? This is a charge moment. And you know that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 
more people are checking those out uh, far beyond our congregation and the numbers of views that uh, people are that we're getting on Tuesdays and Thursdays those devotionals are just way beyond uh, anything that I could have imagined it's been this moment of just weeks of charge moving ahead. Uh, we're not going to just sit in this valley and uh, wring our hands, but we're going to go on the offense like God told uh, Jehoshaphat and God's people. Go on the offense. Go to those places, even in those valleys, uh, when you are not sure uh, about where to go and to what to do. And so Jehoshaphat uh, goes on the offense, picking up in verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the uh, Kaharites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, and with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now this is a very unusual way to go into battle. You would have thought they would have gone with, with swords and shields and armor uh, and all sorts of weaponry, but that's not what they did. They went out with singing. They went out with worship. They went out uh, in praise to God. This was their battle plan, folks. And you know, I'm reminded that when we're in the valleys, we're invited to pray our way through the valleys. But when God is calling us to come up out of the valley, He is inviting us to worship. And so I want to ask you, how are you worshiping the Lord in this season to come up out of this place? Because this is the very thing that brings uh, you and me out of the valleys is our worship. You know, I've been uh, in the valley of grief. I've been in the valley of pain. I've been in the valley of struggle, in the valley of hardship, in the valley uh, of, of brokenness. And I've prayed my way through those valleys. But then I've also learned to worship my way out of the valley. And I've stood at the graveside and I've proclaimed and sung at the top of my lungs, how great thou art. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God, you have rescued me. God, you have saved me. God, you are good. God, you are faithful. A mighty fortress is our God. We do this by praise and singing and falling to our knees, worshiping God. That's how we come up out of the valleys. We do it through our worship. Well, let's finish the story here. And when they began to sing and praise, 
The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab uh, and Mount Sire, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the men of Ammon and the Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Sire, devoting themselves to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Sire, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil uh, from the battlefield, they found among them, in great numbers, goods, uh, clothing, and precious things for which they took themselves until they could carry no more. They were there three days taking spoils of war. It was that much. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of this place is called the valley of Baraka to this day. You know, in the Hebrew language, Baraka means blessing. So on that day, God took the valley of heartache, the valley of struggle, the valley of hurt, the valley of pain, and he turned it into a valley of blessing. See, that's who God is. That's what God does. That same God has that same uh, uh, desire for you to, to meet you in your valley and to bless you, that place of Baraka. Verse 27, Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And so I want to close by just asking you two questions again. How are you praying through your valley of struggle? How are you praying through your valley of hardship? How are you praying through the valley that you're going through right now? And number two, how are you worshiping? How are you proclaiming to God, God, you are good, you are faithful. God, you're going to get me out of this. I know you are because you are a God of rescue. God has the same desire uh, for you that he had for God's people in Jehoshaphat. And let me read the last verse here of our story. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. God wants to give you rest. God wants to give you peace. Years later, Jesus would look at a group of people and he would say, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Let us pray. Oh God, we may be in a valley now, but we believe that someday you're going to lead us back out to sea level. And God, we know that there's going to be a new normal 
uh, that things are going to be different. The landscape is going to change. We'll be different, God. And so, Lord, help us, guide us, help us to pray our way through the valley, and help us, God, to worship our way back out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.